Well, I'll give you another good morning welcome. Good morning, Rooftop. Okay, here's what Jeremy did not tell you. Uh, I hail from Arkansas, and uh, when you're from Arkansas, it's great to be anywhere. Um, <laughs> it's true. It really is true. So... Uh, I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, if you came in here with the blues this morning, fear not, it is a seven-game series. So some of you will take the pun home and get it later. Um, <clears throat> enough with that. I want to tell you uh, really a little bit about myself, how I got here, and what it has to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. So growing up, I was actually raised <clears throat> in southwest Missouri, down around the Neosho-Joplin area. But 17 years ago, I moved down to Arkansas, so I call Arkansas home. Um, but growing up uh, in southwest Missouri, I was raised in a textbook blue-collar family. And as a young kid, um, I can remember my dad uh, taking me out on the weekends and making me help him cut wood. And I remember as a young kid um, that going out on the weekends with my dad and cutting wood um, was not a pleasant thing. But there was a lot of reasons why my dad wanted to take me out and make me help him cut wood. One of the reasons that my dad took me out on the weekends to do this with him was because he wanted to create a good, uh, really kind of a, an environment of good father and son bonding time. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Like to this very day, I have a great relationship with my dad because he invested a lot of his weekends working with me along his side in order to, to do that. And so he often took me out to make me help him cut wood because he wanted to create a, uh, an environment of father and son bonding time. One of the other reasons that my dad would take me out on the weekends um, to make me help him cut wood was because he wanted to teach me good, strong work ethic. Um, one of the other reasons, really the third reason that I'm utterly convinced my dad took me out to make me help him cut wood on the weekends was because he wanted to make me miserable. And he, I heard a couple of you laugh. Um, I promise you whenever I was a kid, I didn't think it was funny. Uh, but I remember as a young kid being out there cutting wood with my dad, convinced that he wanted to make me miserable for the very reason of motivating me to listen to what he would tell me. And so every single weekend that we would go out and cut wood, he would get me miserable in order to motivate me to listen to what he was going to say. And so we'd go out there, and, he, and, and it, you know, we'd been out there cutting wood for like maybe three to five minutes. It felt like an eternity as a kid. But I would begin to start complaining. And the minute that I would start complaining, my dad would share this message with me. And he would say, Sean, be quiet and listen to what I'm about to tell you. Now listen, I'm miserable, so I'm all what? I'm all ears. And so this is what my dad would say to me. He would say, Sean, here's what you need to know about life. You need to grow up. You need to go to college. You need to get a great degree so that you can get a great paying job. And the reason you need a great paying job is so that you can pay someone else to cut your wood. And I was like, that's genius. <laughs> um, you know, and so that's what I heard <clears throat> as a young kid growing up from my dad on a weekend basis, that my, really my purpose in life um, was to do well in high school so that I could, you know, get the opportunity to go to college, and why did I need to go to college so that I could get a great degree, and why did I need a great degree so I could get a great paying job, and why did I need a great paying job so that I could what, rooftop? So that I could live the American dream. That's what I thought that my purpose in life was to get a great education so I could get a great job so that I could live this thing that we call the American dream. Now, I don't fault my dad for what he told me, but I took what my dad told me along with culture, society, and all of my high school peers and classmates, and I turned it into a great excuse to go get a great education so I could get a great paying job so that I could settle into this thing that we call the American dream, this comfortable American life. 
because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. <clears throat> and, you know, it's what everyone was telling me that I was supposed to do, was to, to go make a lot of money so that I could live comfortably, so that I could live safe, so that I could live secure, so that I could have a, a stable savings account, so that I could have a great resume, so that I could have a great 401k. I thought that that's what my purpose in life was. Um, and, and, you know, my, in fact, I, I thought I was going to go off to school to be a dentist. Uh, do we have any dentists in the room this morning? Okay, one, yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, we didn't have any doctors in our family, but I did a job shadow my senior year of high school with this dentist. And there's nothing more creepy, right, than having a teenager stand there and look in your mouth while somebody's working on you. That's pretty intimate space. But there I stood watching this local dentist work on all of these people. And while I'm watching him work, I'm thinking, man, I can do this. I can use my hands. Um, man, I'll go to school. I'll get a great education. I'm going to work three days a week. I'll make six-figure income. I'll golf the other four. I don't even like golf. Um, but it's going to be fantastic. And so that's what I cooked up in my brain. Now, if, if you ask our friend in the audience who's a dentist, that's like the farthest thing from the truth. But that's what I had cooked up in my mind that I was going to go do. And I was going to make a lot of money, settle into this comfortable American life, attend church on Sundays, contribute the minimal commitment that I possibly could to the kingdom, and hopefully I would die in my bed comfortably with my family around me around the age 75 or 80, and off to heaven I'd go. And I thought, man, if I can be a Christian and get the American dream, why not have heaven on earth and later? That's like the best of both worlds, literally. And all of that changed my sophomore year of college. And so I graduate high school and I head off to college. And if I were to sum up my entry into collegiate life, I would have summed it up in three really simple statements. And they went something like this. Me, my agenda, and just a little bit of Jesus if I could squeeze him in. That was my on-ramp to college. Me, my agenda, and just a little bit of Jesus if I could squeeze him in. And all that changed my sophomore year when God sent a minister into my path who literally changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I'll never forget, I, 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 God sends this minister into my path, and one of the first things that he sat me down and he told me was, Sean, I'm going to share a few things with you. And the first thing that I'm going to share with you is that life is not about you and your agenda. In fact, you should probably think about getting over yourself. I didn't laugh. Um, I thought to myself, hey, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. The only people who really reserve the right to speak to me like this are my mom and my dad. But this guy was no nonsense. He wasn't wasting my time. He wasn't playing games. He was very direct. He was blunt, and he was straight to the point. And he said, life's not about you. It's not about your agenda. It's not about you fulfilling your dreams and your goals. You should think about getting over yourself. Now, half my problems is that I'm an only child, okay? So I already think that the world revolves around me. The other half of my problems are that I'm sinful. So when you mix those two things up together, like everything's about you. And now I've got this guy telling me that life is not about me. It's not about my agenda. And then he took it one step further and he said, Sean, not only is life not about you and not about your agenda, but let me tell you what it is about. He said, life is about God and God's agenda. And God's agenda is actually quite simple. It's making his son, Jesus Christ, known worldwide. Life is about God, and it is about God's agenda and God's purpose. And God's purpose is very simple. Now, there are a lot of things in this book that are complicated to understand. Can we all agree upon that? Absolutely. But at a very basic level, what we learn from the Bible is who God is and what God's purpose is to make himself known to the world. And so what this minister told me was, Sean, life's not about you. It's not about your agenda. It is about God, and it is about God's agenda. And God's agenda is to make himself famous worldwide among every tongue, tribe, nation, language, people, and ethnicity on the planet. And he's doing that through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. 
That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. That's God's agenda is to make himself famous among all nations. And then he took this book, the Bible, and he did something I'd never seen before in my life. He opened it up in Genesis chapter 1, and he walked me from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the book of Revelation. In fact, he walked right, right, like, right through the maps. Do you guys know there are maps in the back of your Bible? Those are helpful and important. You should look at those every once in a while. And he walks me from cover to cover, unfolding for me from God's word what God's purpose was to make God known through God's Son among all nations. And by the time this guy got done walking me through the whole Bible, explaining to me what God's mission was to make God known, I have tried to come up with a half a dozen ways to explain what the Holy Spirit did. I was a mess by the time this guy got done talking. I was stained. I was branded. I was changed. It was like the Holy Spirit did what the Holy Spirit gets paid to do and just train wrecked my life, my plans, and my purpose. Never once had I seen the Bible talked about that way. Never once had I seen this thing that we call global missions talked about that way. At that point in my Christian life, I had zero interest in global missions. If I can be honest and vulnerable with you, I could have cared less about God's global purposes. Okay, Global missions was for someone else somewhere else. That was not for me. I was not interested in that, okay? Global missions was for weird people who did not fit in in America, so we mailed them overseas, right? Some of you are like, that's terrible. I can't believe you even just said that, okay? Some of you are thinking it. You just won't admit it. <clears throat> and if we're honest, some people who serve overseas are cut from a different cloth. Some of my best friends on the planet are serving in some of the hardest parts of the world, and they're unique folks, and so here I am. I am face-to-face -face with God's Word in a way that I never have been before. And I'm having to deal with this issue of God's global purpose. I can't get away from it. The whole Bible's about God's mission, and I'd never seen it. I'd never been taught it. I'd never been explained it. And I'm at this crossroad trying to decide whether I'm going to go spend the next 40 to 50 years of my life living for myself and my agenda or whether I'm going to sign up and say yes to what God's global purposes were. And at that point in my life, I had no idea what it was going to look like or where it was going to take me. But what I did know was that it was inescapable. I couldn't not see it. And so my job this morning, in literally the next 20 minutes, is to walk you from Genesis to Revelation. Now some of you are like, how on earth is that going to happen? We're going to try to get it done as quickly as we possibly can. And my goal, okay, my goal in many ways pun intended, is to give you a rooftop view of God and God's global mission. And so we're going to fly at 30,000 feet through the whole Bible, and I want you to see that this thing that we call global missions, it is not Sean Cooper's idea, okay? It is not Jeremy's idea. It's not the global outreach team's idea. It's whose idea? It's God's. Now that matters. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. If you're sitting in the room this morning and you're a Christian... Missions matters to you because it matters to God, period. Now, if you're joining us this morning and you're not a Christian and you're exploring this Jesus thing, man, stick around and ask more questions. I'm sure that the people at Rooftop would love to introduce you to who Christ is, what Christ has done. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that briefly here in a minute. But if you're a Christian and you're in this room, you cannot live indifferent to missions. It's impossible because if it matters to God, it matters to who? us. Jesus is the head. We are the what? He is the groom. We are the what? And the things that matter to one spouse matter to what? 
the other. If you're married in this room, how many of you are married? <laughs> okay, you know, right, that the things that matter to your spouse matter to you. Before I got married to my wife, Meredith, I didn't know the first thing about Woodwick candles, but I can tell you a lot about them now. <laughs> I can tell you particularly about the fireside scent. Why do I know about fireside scent, Woodwick candles? Because it matters to who? Meredith. Now I'm into motorcycles, which means my wife's really into what? Woodwick candles. <laughs> What's my point? My point is to demonstrate for you this morning from the Bible that missions matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to you. And so the, really, that's where I want to take us this morning. I want to introduce us to the story of God's mission. And the story gets started in Genesis chapter 1 <clears throat> with two people on the planet, Adam and who? Yeah, it's not a trick question. You can try that again. Adam and? Well done. Thank you. And God comes to him in Genesis 1, and he gives him the very first commandment in the Bible. And this is what it says. God blessed him and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now, this happens to be the very first commandment that God gives mankind in Scripture. It's also about the only one that we've managed to keep, if you think about it long enough and hard enough, right? It's like, honor your father and mother. No thanks. Have no other gods before me. No thanks. Honor the Sabbath. No thanks. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Done. <laughs> you go talk about what that means later, okay? It's actually true, okay? All jokes aside, that's actually what God's after. Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the earth physically. I want you to have a family. I want you to grow it big. I want you to have children and great-grandchildren, and I want you to spread out and fill the earth. I want you to reproduce, reproduce big, go big, fill the earth. Now, here's why this is important. Because at this point in the story, there is no sin between God and mankind. They're living in a perfect relationship with one another. And so what God is saying to Adam and Eve is this. Adam and Eve, as you reproduce physically, I want you to teach and train your descendants and your great-grandchildren and your grand all that. I want you to teach all of your descendants, as you multiply physically, what it means to know, follow, worship, love, and obey me spiritually. Okay, so I want you to reproduce physically because I want you to teach and train your descendants what it means to know me spiritually. And so what you'll be doing, Adam and Eve, as you populate the earth physically is you'll be populating the whole earth spiritually with a planet full of people who know me, who worship me, who love me, who adore me, who treasure me, who, who obey me. That's what I want. What God's after is a planet full of people who know him and worship him. However, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that man sins. We sever our relationship with God. You get to Genesis 6, 5. The Bible says that every intention in mankind's heart was only set on evil all the time. Utter wickedness fills the earth, just six chapters into the Bible. You get to Genesis chapter 7, God hits the reset button, floods the earth. And in Genesis chapter 9, God basically starts over with the second family. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and do what, you guys? We're not even 10 chapters into the entire Bible, and twice already God has commanded mankind to fill the earth. Fill the earth. God's command is very clear. However, what has changed at this point in the story is that sin has entered the picture. And so by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, we come to this story called the Tower of Babel. And let me tell you what's going on 11 chapters in. Now, the whole earth had one language and a common speech. So 11 chapters into the Bible, no matter where you went on planet Earth, everybody was speaking one language, English. And as men moved eastward, the Bible says that they found a place, right, in a plain called Shinar, and they settled there. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower that reaches up to the sky. Why? So that we might make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole Earth. What had God commanded twice mankind to do? 
Fill the earth. Fill the earth. God says go, mankind says what? No. Now, you don't have to be, right, like a seminary student. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. You don't even have to have great interpretive skills to figure out this is what we call direct disobedience. God says go, mankind says no. God says make my name, my agenda, my purpose great, and what's mankind say? We'll make our name great, our purpose is great, our plan's great. This is what we call direct disobedience. Like, I'm waiting for the next couple verses to say God just flicked them into the sun, right? <laughs> That's not what it says. This is actually what we're told. And the Lord said, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the tower. So we go from one language to what? Multiple lang languages. We go from one location to multiple locations. In fact, all of the known languages in the world today... Okay, the Burundi language comes from this historic, historical event right here. So, one language, multiple languages. One location, multiple locations. God has mankind scattered out all over the planet. But remember, what he wants is a people gathered to himself who know him, who praise him, who worship him. God wants a people gathered himself. I will be their God and they will be my people. God wants a people gathered himself. So what on earth is God going to do to gather the scattered? We don't have to go far to find an answer because just a chapter later, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and Abram, I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. God's going to pick one man to start the gathering process. We're told his name is Abram. We're also told that he is 75 years old. In America, we call that what? Retirement. <clears throat> okay. I don't know that Abraham's necessarily looking to go anywhere. And God interrupts his agenda, God interrupts his life, and commands him to go. Leave, get out, move. Get used to hearing God say it, because he repeats it over and over and over and over throughout the course of the whole Bible. Abraham, go. What is he commanding him to leave? Abraham, I'm commanding you to leave your land and your loved ones. I want there to be a decisive break away from everything that is comfortable and familiar to you. Decisive break. Leave that and go to a land that I'll show you. And notice God doesn't even bother to tell him where he's going or how long he's even staying. I'm convinced that's the worst mission trip, like recruitment tactic you could ever use, okay? It's like, where are you going? We don't know. How long are you staying? We're also not sure about that. We do have a sign-up sheet out in the lobby if you'd be interested in talking to us. I mean, who says yes to something like that? That's just crazy. And sometimes we get so accustomed to hearing these Bible stories that we forget Abraham was a real person. And God says, Abraham, the command is clear. It's not an option. It's not a good idea. I'm commanding you to what? Leave. But listen to what he promises him. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation and bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And Abraham, through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Depending on what translation of the Bible you read, it may say all peoples. It may say all nations. It may say all families. It may say all tribes. All those words, for the most part, are synonymous. What's the point? That through Abraham, God's going to reach the world. Abraham, I'm blessing you in order to be a blessing. Abraham, the blessing's coming to you because I'm moving it through you. Abraham, all the blessings that I'm about to pour out on you are not for you. Oh, God, I thought you were here to bless me. 
for me. Me, 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 me. <laughs> no, Abraham, I'm blessing you, but it's not for you. My intention in blessing you is to bless all what? Peoples. That's who the blessing is for. Now, what is the ultimate blessing? What is the ultimate blessing that God's talking about right here to Abraham? It's the gospel. It's salvation. Okay, it's the good news that what mankind, and here's the gospel. If you're in the room this morning and you're not clear on what the gospel is, here it is. The gospel is the good news that God fixes what mankind broke in Genesis chapter 3 when we sinned, when we rebelled, and when we disobeyed against him. And here's how he does it. It's the good news that God fixes what mankind broke through Jesus. And Jesus is going to come down through Abraham's family bloodline. Thousands of years later, after Abraham, and Jesus is going to step onto the scene, fully God and fully man. That's important, okay? That's not just something for theologians to debate about. That matters, that he's fully God and he's fully man. And Jesus lives huh, the perfect, sinless life, spotless, blameless, without fault. He lives the perfect, sinless life that none of us in this room have ever got a shot at living. And then he marches to the cross and he dies the death that you and I deserve to die for our sins in our place as our substitute. He's buried in the grave and three days later, God the Father raises him from the dead through the power of the Spirit, proving to the world that he is exactly who he said he was. And then God takes it one step further and says, whoever will turn away from their sins and look to Christ trust in Christ, believe in Christ and what he has done and who he said he was. Look away from your sins and put your faith and trust in who Christ is. God says, listen, if you do that, if you turn and trust, I will wipe your slate clean, forgive you of your sins, and give you life forever to enjoy me. That's the gospel. It's the good news that what we can't do, God did. It's done in Christ. Look to Christ, trust in Christ, God says. And that blessing, that blessing of forgiven sins and restored relationship with God, it's for who? It's not just for people in Arkansas, it's not just for people in Missouri, it's not just for people in St. Louis, it's for people of every tongue, tribe, nation, language, and ethnicity on this planet. And God is promising to Abraham that's what's going to happen. And so what we see from Genesis 12 forward is this, that really God is revealing to us his purpose to reach all peoples through this promise. Let me say it again. Okay, God reveals his purpose to reach all peoples through his what? Promise. Watch how he makes the same promise to Isaac, Abraham's son. Through you, all nations will be blessed. He repeats the promise to Jacob. Jacob, through you, all nations will be blessed. And so God's going to take Abraham's family and form them into what nation? The nation of Israel. That's right. That's exactly right. And through Israel, God is going to begin to fulfill his purpose in this promise to bless all peoples. And so if we were to summarize the Old Testament, there's a lot of ways you could summarize the Old Testament, but let me give you a quick working summary statement. It goes like this. Out of all the nations that God scattered at the Tower of Babel, remember, he chose one nation to reach all nations. Now I'm going to have you say it with me, even though it feels a bit elementary. Out of all the nations God chose to reach, who's the one nation? Israel. Israel, I'm working in and through you. Israel, I'm blessing you. I'm blessing you. I'm blessing you. But Israel, the blessing is not for you. 
Don't look to the blessing. Look to the blesser. Don't look to the gift. Look to the giver. Don't look to the creation. Look to the creator. Because when you turn your eyes away from me to the things I'm giving you, we call that idolatry. But Israel, I'm going to work through you, and the reason I'm working through you is to fulfill my promise to Abraham to not only bless Israel, but to bless what, you guys? All nations, Jews and Gentiles. And so what we're going to do is we are literally going to fly through the Old Testament rapid fire, and I'm going to give you multiple examples of God working in and through Israel to bless the nations. We don't make it five, like really honestly, we don't make it out of the first five books of the Bible. We don't make it past the second book of the Bible. And we see God fulfilling his purpose through his promise in the ten plagues. Listen to what Moses says to Pharaoh. It is for this purpose that I, God, have raised you, Pharaoh, up to show you my power, so that my name might be proclaimed where? In all the earth. When God brought the ten plagues on the Egyptians, it was so that he might display to the Egyptians and to the Israelites and to all the what? Earth that he was the living God. We see God fulfilling his purpose not only in the ten plagues, but we know that eventually Moses passes the baton to Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But before he does that, while the Israelites are wandering in the desert, Moses goes up to the mountain to get the law. And we see God fulfilling his purpose to bless all nations not only in the ten plagues, but we see it in the ten commandments. Listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 4.6. Israel, observe the commandments, for this will show you this will show your wisdom and your understanding to who? All what? All nations. And so we see God fulfilling his purpose through his promise, excuse me, in the giving of the Ten Commandments. We see it in the Ten Plagues. Moses passes the baton to Joshua, and Joshua marches the children into the promised land. We get four chapters into the book of Joshua, and we see Joshua reminding the children why God saved them. Why he stopped the Red Sea. Why he stopped the River Jordan. Israel, do you remember when God saved you out from under the hand of Pharaoh? Yeah, Joshua, we remember. It was epic. Okay, let me remind you, children, that it wasn't just for you. In fact, the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. And why did he do it? So that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord was mighty. God is fulfilling his purpose through his promise to bless all nations in the Ten Plagues, the Ten Commandments, the Red Sea, the River Jordan. Raise your hand if you've heard of the story of David and Goliath. <clears throat> Good, I came to the right place. <laughs> Why does God raise up this small child to slaughter this nine-foot giant? This day I'm going to strike you down. So that what? The story is not primarily about David. It's not primarily about Goliath. Who's the story primarily about? God. And what God's doing to make himself known to Egyptians, Israelites, Philistines, Canaanites. Because God made a promise to Abraham to bless what? All nations. Not just one, but all. And so we see God repeatedly through these Old Testament stories and examples, fulfilling his purpose through his promise. When God gives Solomon his wisdom, all nations came to hear the wisdom of King Solomon from all over the world. Over and over and over in fact, I don't even have time literally this morning to walk you through the Queen of Sheba, the Ethiopian eunuch, Naaman the Syrian, Rahab the Canaanite prostitute, Ruth the what? Moabite, over and over and over, the whole book of Jonah. We could literally spend all afternoon just in the Old Testament, me giving you example after example, stories that many of us are familiar with, witnessing God fulfilling his purpose through his promise to bless all nations. You can't get away from it. 
In fact, it's all over in the book of Psalms. Psalm 4610, you guys probably know this one. Be still, you guys know the rest of it? And know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That's what it says. How many of you have ever heard of this verse before? Maybe a few of us. Okay, okay. I don't want to assume too much. This is usually what it looks like. Some of you are like, we have that hanging up in our bathroom behind the toilet. (laughs) Some of you are like, I met with the Lord this morning and it was right there on my coffee cup. There's only one problem with this verse. There's only one problem with this picture, should I say. That little subscript right there. Psalm 4610 what? Hmm. Who knew that there was an entire second half? Yeah, there's a whole second half. I will be exalted among the nations, God says. I will be exalted in the earth. How on earth do we get there? How do we take a verse that has to do with God's purpose to fulfill his promise to bless all nations and turn it into that? Me, 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 me. God bless me, 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 me. Quiet, serene. If you look at it long enough, it's even kind of therapeutic, isn't it? But that second half right there, that second half is saying something about who God is, and it's demanding something from us as followers of Jesus Christ. And as you roll out of the Old Testament and into the New, what's fascinating is nothing changes. In fact, as you turn from the Old Testament into the New, and as Jesus steps onto the scene around the age 30, he begins his public ministry. And if you were to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the four Gospels, what you'll notice is that a significant portion of Jesus' ministry is actually with people who were non-Jewish. Jesus was engaged in crossing cultural barrier and cultural boundary one after another after another. Where do we see him do it? With people like the Samaritan woman. How did Jews and Samaritans feel about each other? Oh, good old buds, weren't they? No, they hated each other. Man, do you think that, you know, racism is a problem in America today, which it is, by the way. If you don't think it is, just pull your head out of the sand. Okay? Do you think it's a problem in America? It was a problem in whose day? Jesus' day. Why is racism a problem? Because we have sin in our hearts. And Jesus stepped right into those cultural situations. In the video that we watched, as some of you guys were coming into church this morning, the video pointed out that there's about 350 what we would call unreached people groups that live in America. There are refugees. There are immigrants. There are international students and communities that are coming to America. Now, I got, I'm at 31 minutes, and I'm about to open a huge can of worms. In 2016, one of the biggest topics of the 2016 debate was immigration policy. Some of you are like, we don't have time for this, Sean. <laughs> the nations are coming to our backyard. 
They're going to keep coming to our backyard. They're already here, okay? And the reason that they're here isn't because of who's in charge. It doesn't matter to me whether you're Republican, Democrat, whether you're pro this or pro that. The nations are here because Acts 17, 26 says that God brought them here. (laughs) And we as Christians have this opportunity to engage them. And rather than complain that they're crowding our communities, that they're taking our jobs, we've got an opportunity to engage them with what? The truth of the gospel, the good news that they are separated from God and their hope is in Christ. We've got the opportunity to engage them literally on our own soil. They come here on their time. They come here on their dime. They're trying, okay, if you can believe it, the majority of them are trying to speak our language. (laughs) And we can invite them into our homes. We can invite them into our churches. We can invite them into our communities or we can can complain that they're here. And what we learn, one of the things among many, when we talk about God's heart for the nations, is not just going on a trip, it's sticking out our hands to the ones that are already what, you guys? Here. And Jesus models that for us with the Samaritan woman at the well. He models that for us whenever he engages with a Roman centurion. Israel was occupied by Rome. And rather than Jesus complain about the fact that Rome was beating them up, rather than complain about the fact that Rome was taking their jobs and affecting their economy. Jesus doesn't complain about any of that. What does he do? He steps into the situation, and he ministers to them. This is eight examples. By my count, there's two dozen in the New Testament, in the Gospels. This is just a sampling. Okay, We see it in the Samaritan woman. We see it with the Roman centurion. We see it when he feeds 4,000 Gentiles. And not only does he model it with his life, but he goes to the cross. He's crucified, buried, and resurrects. And post-resurrection, post-resurrection, he gives the church their final marching orders. And after the resurrection, the only thing that we have on record, after he rises from the dead, before he goes back to be with the Father in heaven, the only thing that we have on record are those words right there. Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to the whole world. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth. That's the only thing that we have on record that Jesus said post-resurrection, which tells us that it's really, really what? It's important. It's a big deal to Jesus. And why is it a big deal to Jesus? Because God made a promise to Abraham to bless all what? Nations. We see him fulfilling that in and through Israel. You turn the page. Where Israel fails, Christ prevails. And Christ steps onto the scene and he begins to fulfill where, like where Israel fails. And, and not only that, he now passes that on to you and me in the church. And here's what gets amazing, you guys. Here's what gets amazing. Promise made. Hang with me. Promise made. Promise kept. John, one of Jesus' close followers and disciples, gets a vision of what heaven's going to one day look like, and this is what he says. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And what does John see when he sees into what heaven's going to one day look like? There were people from every tongue, tribe, nation, language, and ethnicity standing around the throne worshiping Jesus. 
in the new heavens and in the new earth, God gets a planet full of people who are doing what? Worshiping him, just like he wanted whenever he set Adam and Eve into motion. And once you see it, once you see it, you can never unsee it. Raise your hand if you've seen the Big Dipper. Raise your hand if you've seen the Big Dipper. Once you see it, you can never what? Unsee it. Once you see in the Bible that God has a purpose and a plan to reach all nations and that he's commanding and inviting me and you into it, you can't unsee it. It's just like the Big Dipper. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Pharaoh, David, and Goliath, the Psalms, Daniel, Lion's Den, Jonah, Jesus, Paul, the book of Acts, and now the gospel's come to us. And why has the gospel come to you and me? Because it's on its way where? To the nations. This is the big picture, and this is God's purpose. And as believers, we have an opportunity to engage. And I want to give you an opportunity to engage in God's global purpose, maybe in a way that you never have before. In September, okay, in September, Canaan Baptist Church is going to be hosting a 15-week class called Perspectives. Now, before you hear 15 weeks and bail out, okay, Canaan Baptist Church is hosting a 15-week class called Perspectives, and Rooftop is partnering with them to help put this class on. This 15-week class that I'm telling you about, Rebecca is out in the lobby, and I want every one of you to go by her booth and ask her why you should consider taking Perspectives. Let me tell you why I think you should take this class. It's in the top five most life-changing things I've ever experienced. Getting saved, getting married, having kids, and watching my mom die are the top four. The fifth was taking this class that I want you guys to go outside and talk to Rebecca about called Perspectives. It's a life-changing opportunity, and the very first week, I'll be teaching again. <laughs> so if you didn't like me this morning, come anyways, okay? <clears throat> I want to invite you to join us in September in taking this Perspectives class. The first two weeks, you can come for free, but I want you to explore it and to consider it. And as I leave you with this, I'm going to pray a short prayer, and we'll be done. My hope this morning, my hope this morning is that you would see from God's word that missions is not my idea, it's not Jeremy's idea, it's not the global team's idea, it's whose idea. And if it's important to God, it should be important to who? Us. Can I pray and we'll be done? Father, thank you for a chance to share from your word this morning. In Jesus' name.